1: guest says that while stress can be managed, mood can be elevated, growth can be arrested, blood can be stalled, and a clot can be busted, memory cannot be retrieved with a single magic bullet. Indeed, in Alzheimer's disease, the medical world is facing its hardest hour. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, and I'm delighted to have you join me on this edition of Mind Talk, and I'm very pleased to introduce to you Dr. Shuvendu Sen. Dr. Sen is a renowned physician, author, speaker, and humanitarian. He is the director of medical education and associate director of the Internal Medicine Residency Program at Raritan Bay Medical Center at uh, Hackensack University. Dr. Sen is the author of numerous medical and scientific publications, books, chapters. My goodness, Dr. Sen, you are quite a busy individual.
0: I try to. I, <laughs> I try to. I mean, all these things are so linked with each other. I mean, I, of course, take care of patients, but I also, uh, you know, like to write. It, it takes me to places where medicine fails to reach.
1: Well, today we're going to be focusing on some of your writing. In fact, we're going to be focusing on a book that you have written entitled, Why Buddha Never Had Alzheimer's, A Holistic Treatment Approach Through Meditation, Yoga, and the Arts. Tell me about the reason for writing this particular book. There's so much that is written about Alzheimer's. Your book is so, so hopeful, though, and so helpful. Why write this
0: book? I, I guess uh, it has a couple of reasons. One was, uh, it's a very personal reason. I mean, um, my grandmother, she uh, suffered from Alzheimer's, and I'm talking about good many years back when we did not have any comprehension at all about uh, the length and breadth of this disease. What struck me was the fact that she was... Uh, an out-and-out scholar, uh, very educated, very erudite, very academic. Uh, Back in those days, um, she was uh, highly uh, respected as as an author. So it struck me, and I was very young, uh, I was in grade 6, it really struck me that someone who's so educated, someone who uses the brain uh, so regularly, would become a vegetable overnight. And she probably had the slender signs and symptoms which all escaped our attention. But nonetheless, uh, she escaped all our attention one evening, and we lost her. We lost her for about 48 hours. So when we eventually rescued her and she came back, she had no recognition of herself or any realization of where she belonged. And uh, she just turned into a functional dream. And, and it struck me that someone who is so educated, so academic, so scholarly, how can she turn into a vegetable? Now, 30, 40 years down the road, we are facing the same question. Because, you know, it's a myth when we say that if you're educated, if you're academic, um, you're not going to get the Alzheimer's because you're using a your brain. But Alzheimer's is much more than, than that. So that was one, you know, nagging point that I always carried with myself years before I became a doctor. Now, after practicing medicine, joining medicine, if I may use the word mainstream medicine, I realized that we are literally scratching the surface. We got about two to three FDA-approved drugs, appropriately approved by uh, FDA, but then the longer trials clearly show that they are not curative at all. At the same time, we have this vast treasure of meditation, of yoga, something that was and has been used for centuries. And now that we are blessed with modern technology, we are actually now researching into the brains of these meditators, and we are actually finding, lo and behold, that they are showing the benefits of this meditation on those areas of the brain which are getting hit by Alzheimer's. So it was almost like a a compelling force, and, uh, and I thought of bringing it up to the forefront.
1: Well, it, it certainly is, as I said a moment ago, um, a, a different approach to thinking about and, and uh, Alzheimer's and treatment. Uh, but let me ask you, let me go back a bit. You, you were six sure. years old uh, when grandmother went from being one person to a completely different person. Do you recall what that was like for you just as a little one? I would think that'd be pretty scary and pretty confusing
0: i was I was emotionally crushed because I was her uh favorite, and there were a lot of conversations back and forth, a lot of stories that were told and she she would listen to everything that I would say, some that made sense sense some that did not make sense so for me it was it was a shock because it was the collapse of a relationship i mean I can understand that uh, you know, she would come down with a disease because she was on the senior side, and I can accept that. But to look at someone who had complete structural integrity, and, and and there was nothing wrong structurally, but that the person who looked the same just did not behave the same way, and and it it completely shocked me. It was, it was it left a very deep impact on me. And now now that I I practice medicine and I see the same effects on the caregivers uh, when they take care of their uh, beloved. And uh, there's, there's no as such structural disease that they can hold on to. Uh, it, it, is, it is just the collapse of, of a relationship uh, despite having the presence of uh, the beloved. So it's, it's a disease with enormous... Uh, emotional impact. And, and I felt it at, at a very young age, and I, and I carry it with me even today.
1: You know, it, it, it speaks to the importance, I would suggest, of reminding ourselves as adults that children have feelings, they are connected, they have relationships. And I just wonder how many adults will choose to say very little, if anything, to a child, particularly a young child, uh, not knowing what to say to the child or assuming the child doesn't notice or won't remember when, in fact, this was a, a significant relationship for you, even at six, and it is one that has stayed with you for your lifetime.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I carry it with me, and a, and a lot of my, my primary emotions uh, have been dictated with, a love that was lost overnight. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, as it happens when you're at that age, you get the undivided attention of your grandparents because your parents are busy and the world outside is very busy. And that was my little privacy. That was my little world where I interacted with, with fearless respect or disrespect. You know, I, I could do whatever I wanted to do. I could say I could relate to her in whatever ways. And, and, and that sudden collapse... Uh, this almost the, the vanishing of a relationship, the suddenness of it all. It is, it's almost, I felt like somebody just grabbed my grandmother and pulled her into the darkness and, and I couldn't see her. And then the agony of seeing her in reality and, and trying to go back to the, the, the intimate moments that I had with her and failing repeatedly uh, you know, when she would just stare at me or just cry for no reason. And, and so th- that, that left a... a, a very deep uh, impact on me. I had no comprehension of it. Um, uh, now, as I age, I, I realize, uh, you know, what a terrible agony it was
1: for you and and for her,
0: and for her, and for her. You're so right for her. For her, it is unpublished. I mean, um, I wouldn't know how she would feel, and and um, so it's 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 a very different disease, you know. And and when I talk to the caregivers. For me, it becomes, in in a very negative way, I become very nostalgic because I see the same emotions coming. I see the same, I don't know what to do kind of a feeling, where where caregivers are completely uh, shattered uh, with this this new relationship of someone with whom they cannot relate and with whom they had related for years and years. Uh,
1: Someone who's there, but not
0: really. Yes, exactly. Devastating disease. Both for the sufferer as for the others, the the, the caregivers.
1: Uh, just the 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 word, the term Alzheimer's disease sends, I think, people young and old into this sort of terrified, I hope this doesn't happen to me. Is this happening to me? You know, 18 years old, you've misplaced your keys. Oh, my goodness, I have Alzheimer's. Uh, it, it truly is a disease that frightens so many people. I, I, is the fright is is the worry about it well founded
0: absolutely <laughs> Look, I mean, it's not the first time that we clinicians and scientists have come across a disease with such colossal uh, effect. Uh, We had it in the past. I mean, we had infectious diseases like, uh, let's say, the Spanish flu. We had the plague. We had leprosy. Uh, And then in recent years, we had HIV. And so those were major diseases. They quickly spilled out of classrooms. They became social affairs. But, you know, we could quickly... Uh, come, come to the root of the cause. And every time we got challenged, we hurled defiances. But with this disease, it, it is, it is an, a, a completely different battle, um, simply because, and, and I don't mean to sound superficial, but uh, it, is, it is comparatively easier to address problems of a liver, problems of a spleen, problems of a colon, problems of a bone, as compared to the complexity of a brain as also the fact that the mind is much more than the brain, just as I don't know where my bathroom is, uh, is not Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is much more than that. So this, this complete fright um, is, 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 is very well-founded because we really do not have a clue who's going to get it and even the pace of the disease. You know, that the very early stage of this disease, we call it MCI, like mild cognitive impairment, now, from MCI to a full-blown Alzheimer's is anybody's game. You could remain an MCI for the rest of your life, which is a good thing. You could go very slowly to Alzheimer's, which is also probably better if you take 30, 40 years to reach there. But it could be also fast and furious. I mean, I have an example of someone who's tragically a doctor. She, she was a brilliant doctor, and, and, and then she got hit with Alzheimer's. And, and again, she probably harbored those hushed, signs and symptoms, but then it escaped the attention of everyone. But then the story goes like this. She was, she was writing to her husband and she started off by saying my the beloved husband after a paragraph and a half, she lost her identity and she quickly ended with your beloved daughter. So this, this complete change of identity all happened within, in a, in a, in a, in a paragraph and a half of a letter. So it can hit you that fast. So yes, you, you are absolutely correct. This is this is a frightful situation, and it is uh, well-founded.
1: You say that you wonder if, as physicians, perhaps uh, the boat has been missed, so to speak, in a rush for a diagnosis. What, what did you mean by that?
0: You know, we, we do not understand the pathology of this disease. We more often than not we, we, we rush for to give a diagnosis now it is, it is very true in these disease and, and, and let me explain to you why because, uh, as I said, you know um, alzheimer's is much more than uh, oh god i don 't remember where I parked my car, or as you started by saying that i don 't remember the name of another person i don 't remember Alzheimer's is much more than that and and you cannot or one cannot. Um, comprehend how we forget unless we have a full comprehension of how we remember and this memory thing is is a very deep is a very complex thing and again memory is not just uh, you're remembering who I am or I'm remembering your name memory is much more than that memory is a reflection of the change that's constantly uh, that we are constantly undergoing you know For example, meeting you is an experience, and it primes my brain, and my my nerve cells, they react accordingly, and it leaves an indelible impression. Now that becomes the memory. And very soon, it's going to be predictive of who I will become, because it's going to control my forward emotions, my forward hopes, my optimism, or on the negative side, um, if I'm pessimistic, or any fears that I have. And also, memory is a relationship. Uh, and I'll give you an example. For example, if I, if I have your telephone number and I put it in the computer, all I have to do is to just mention your, your name and the computer will bring out your telephone number. It's a very cold-hearted but a very sure kind of a response. Compare this with the fact when I am remembering your telephone number. The moment I try to remember your telephone number, i got to remember you. i got to remember your mannerism. All of these, even if it is in a flash of a second, it will come. So it's a relationship. So Alzheimer's, when we talk about Alzheimer's, you've got to reverse the process. So it's not just about not knowing who you are, but it's also about losing relationships. So, you know, we, we tend to give 2 plus 2, 4, and we say, okay, so this is the diagnosis. And very often we miss the mark. In Alzheimer's, I think we are missing the mark because it's not like depression it's not like bipolar disease where it's a very uniform kind of a presentation where we know exactly what's happening in alzheimer's it's hard to give a diagnosis because it can come with anything it can come with the fact that i don't know who you are so it's a personality it's a it's an identification problem it can come with a personality problem i can start behaving differently it can come with uh, with finding the right words and i've used this example many times that you know, the gentleman who would say and be very articulate and say that, you know what, I need to have a toast, an omelet, uh, a pancake or an orange juice for my breakfast. That gentleman starts finding difficult to, to get those words. So all he says, he replaces it with one word, I like to have breakfast. Now, that's a perfectly legitimate word. It escapes the attention of the whole family. But then that's the beginning of the beginning. That's how Alzheimer's uh, one type of Alzheimer's starts, where you have problem in finding the word. So it's very hard to come with a diagnosis when the, the repertoire is so huge and limitless.
1: You know, in, in my practice as a mental health clinician, um, were I to be engaged um, in the insurance industry, mm. if you will, I would be required to make a diagnosis within one visit. Is is the same true if you are diagnosing something as complex as Alzheimer's? Is there an insurance industry-driven, perhaps, need or push to come up with a diagnosis almost immediately?
0: You're so correct. Well, unfortunately, yes. I mean, uh, again, I like you. I I take care of. You know, patients, I'm, I'm mainstream medicine. I prescribe medications. But then I think that there is a, a, a drive from the industry, um, which kind of makes it uh, a little difficult. Difficult in the sense that we get the signs and symptoms, but we miss the patient. We get the treatment, but we miss the healing part. And we miss this patient, we miss this healing part because uh, we are programmed to come up with a name, to come up with a diagnosis, to come up with a disease, and then to come up with a drug, uh, which is meant for that disease. And and I think we have, uh, there was a time when we were not blessed with modern technologies, and uh, and there were a lot of opinions. And But then we evolved. Uh, we became, uh, you know, finer, and we, we improved upon ourselves. But I think we are taking it to the other extreme end, where uh, all that we are doing is just going for the signs and symptoms, coming up with a diagnosis, and hitting it with uh, a one-line prescription. And the primordial organs with which we started our practice, um, like our eyes, our ears, our hands on the pulse, uh, these are completely gone. And, and, and I think we are suffering because of that. That's, that's one of the main, uh, I would say, um, Achilles' heel in modern medicine. you also
1: uh point out in Why Buddha Never Had Alzheimer's, that um, yoga and meditation can be helpful in a broad range of stress-related illnesses. I mean, you've you've talked about the impact of stress on Alzheimer's, but there's also uh, been a look at the impact of yoga and meditation for those dealing with anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and even substance abuse. This is a powerful tool.
0: Absolutely, yes, please.
1: You say that there are two types of meditation: mindfulness meditation and transcendental meditation. What's the difference?
0: All right. So, uh, so to, to uh, uh, get back to your previous point, because it's such a tempting point that you that you wrote with the post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, if I may. Yes. Uh, there were some glorious uh, examples, and I and I gave that case study of tsunami. Uh, that happened, um, you know, in, in the, uh, the eastern part of the world, which killed so many people. And those who escaped, uh, they suffered from tremendous amount of post-traumatic stress. You know? And so this, uh, there was a program that was actually funded from the United Nations where they introduced, in a very gentle way, mindfulness meditation, simple breathing techniques, and the results were tremendous. So... In those situations where you're looking at mass casualties, where you're looking at mass post-traumatic stress disorder, rather than showering medications and drugs uh, with all its adverse effects, and you do not know uh, which drug will work in which individual because all of us are different, uh, this is one way where in a very global scale, in a very large scale, we can implement and and get those wonderful um, results. To your next question, fundamental question, you know, meditation is is, and, and, and I always say, um, uh, because I myself I meditate, it is it is a very simple process, much simpler than the common notion that oh my god I got to start with this ritual, uh, which was practiced centuries back in the deep forests and all that. In mindfulness meditation, you're just sitting comfortably, uh, in in your own silent corner, and rather than Locking away all the thoughts, which can be counterproductive, you allow those thoughts to be inside you. But you don't judge them. You kind of let them go inside you. And if you if you concentrate, you just concentrate on your breathing. You breathe in and hold it for some time and you breathe out. And then automatically, without being very harsh and, and, and without being uh, very synthetic, very naturally, you kind of let the other thoughts just come and go that's mindfulness meditation it's very user friendly it's not going to happen in the first day I've had patients coming back and say you know I'm, I'm actually more restless and I said this is the beginning and it's a process uh, and and don't force yourself to think that oh my god I'm not going to think on those thoughts just open open the window inside you and 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 the idea is to to open up and in a way channelize your mind so that your consciousness expands. In in transcendental meditation, it's concentration meditation. In concentration meditation, we say you can concentrate on um, anything. It could be an object, it could be a flame, a candle, or you could be repeating a word. In, 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 in certain um, process of transcendental meditation, they give you a word, and you just repeat the word. Repeating the word is not being... Uh, religious. Uh, you're not uh, embracing any religion. In fact, meditation has got nothing to do with religion. It is, it is a practice. It is a scientific practice. You just repeat the word so that you can keep your concentration on that word. If you're having difficulty in concentrating on a flame or a picture uh, or anything, um, you just keep on repeating the word and the concentration will come because you're um, subconsciously concentrating on that word. And, and the idea is to channelize all your energy eventually. And, and, and focus on a certain one uniform path, which eventually, as science showed, gave rise to this plethora of alphabets and neuroplasticity.
1: The fact that you uh, make reference to the fact um, that it's not a religion. You know, so many people, when hearing about a quote-unquote new practice uh, or a new way of thinking or being will will say, almost a knee-jerk reaction. Well, I'm not religious. I don't really believe in that. That's not what you're talking about at all. This is, as no. you have said, this is a scientific practice. This is a medicine that we can provide to ourselves.
0: You're so true. I mean, I, I did mention areas where uh, meditation has been practiced by all uh, spiritual leaders across the board. And, and uh, it happened at a time when science was evolving. So the scientists of those days, they could not translate uh, the, the power of these, these treasures into uh, a therapeutic use, which is what is happening now. The wonderful thing that has been happening for the last two to three decades has been now that we are armed with uh, these this fantastic technologies that we have, Uh, The scientists have now decided that, okay, let me see what this process uh, does to the brain. And and, and sure enough, we are going into the deeper parts of the brain and we are seeing the wonderful effects that this process does. And you're right, it's got nothing to do with religion. It's a process, it's a procedure, it's an exercise. Just as we go to the gym and we work it out, this is a cognitive exercise, a mental exercise.
1: So, uh, again, there is a significant uh, amount of help that we can give ourselves, and as you said, it doesn't cost money. The only thing it costs, if you will, is time, and who better to invest your time in than your own physical and mental health?
0: So very well said. So very well said. That That's exactly what it is. I mean, we, we say to invest our, in, in ourselves, uh, let's say, in reading a good book, in, in gardening. Uh, in, in, in going to a good place. So similarly, we say, invest in yourself that 12 minutes, that 15 minutes uh, of your day, just that 15 minutes of your day to just picking up a quiet, comfortable corner and just sit in any position that you're comfortable with. And whether you want to concentrate on an object, close your eyes and take that inward journey, or you just want to even open your eyes and do the mindfulness where you let all the uh, thoughts uh, come inside you. Just concentrate on your breathing comfortably, and and that's all that it is.
1: Dr. Shuvendu Sen, author of Why Buddha Never Had Alzheimer's, A Holistic Treatment Approach Through Meditation, Yoga, and the Arts. I thank you so much for spending time with us today and for bringing uh, the value of self-care to the, the hopefulness in terms of dealing with the potential impact of Alzheimer's in, in our lives, as well as a wonderful stress reduction
0: tool. Thank you very much. I enjoyed. I enjoyed talking.
1: Alrighty, and folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Again, the name of the book written by Dr. Shuvendu Sen is Why Buddha Never Had Alzheimer's, a holistic treatment approach through meditation, yoga, and the arts. Mind Talk is available to you daily. And it is available to you on demand by going to myndtalk.org. MindTalk is provided as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and Twenty Six by Two Communications. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to Mind Talk today. So do send an email to me, Pamela, P A M E L A at mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K .dot o r g. And remember, always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take. Care.